On this episode, we talk about ISE, PTZ, and esports. All that and more on this episode of EdTech. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, because every voice matters. EdTech episode 104, The Built Club. Hello, AV friends. Welcome to another episode of EdTech. As always, we have our panel of awesome higher ed AV professionals, Ernie Bailey. How you doing, Ernie? I'm doing great. It's good to be back. And also Rob Raspberry. Hey, always glad to get together with the group. Absolutely. And Scott Tyner. Hi, Scott. Hey, Aaron and team. Happy February. Yes. And today we have with us a special guest joining us from Wentworth Institute of Technology, Johanna Pearson. Welcome, Johanna. Thank you, Aaron. Always nice to be invited. Absolutely. And tell us a little bit about um, what you do over there. So I am the Media Technology Coordinator. It's always fun to hear different people's titles at their different institutions and what they might mean. Um, and mine personally means that I am in charge of all of the mediated spaces on campus, whether that be a classroom or an auditorium. And furthermore, I also am either in charge of or assisting with all of the events on campus that require any kind of AV equipment, whether that be a microphone that we throw at you and leave the room or a full live streaming uh, setup or a live music performance, anything like that. Me and my team um, handle all of that and everything in between. How big is your team? Very small. There are three of us plus student workers. Wow. I am always just so amazed at teams that are so small yet do so many things on the campus. So that's, um, that's amazing. We have a, we are under the umbrella of our IT department as well. So we support them and they support us as well. Nice. Well, all right, let's jump into it. So the uh, first discussion is um, inspired by Higher Ed AV Media um, over at higheredav.com. Uh, they sent over a team of higher ed folks to ISE. And um, looks like all of us here kind of missed out on a really amazing time. But what do you guys think the impact of ISE is on, on higher ed? I see it as kind of a, for us, we, what we see coming from ISE tells us what we're going to expect at Infocom in the summer, lets us know what's coming, uh, a little bit of preview. But once again, we don't get to go and see it, but we do hear about it and hear discussions. Uh, so it's kind of a precursor to what we're going to be seeing in the, in the future. But it's like, uh, once again, just a preview uh, for us. Yeah, I think ISE is a uh, much like I already said. It's it's the uh, pre precursor to Infocom. Of course, ISE would be insulted hearing that, knowing that it's 
a larger show than Infocom. Uh, but for us in, in the United States and certainly in, in higher ed, it is hard to get money to travel internationally. Uh, it, it's hard to convince somebody that you really need to go to Barcelona, Spain for a few days to, to walk a trade show floor. Um, but I think it's it, right now in particular uh, with uh, availability of products and costs of products, getting on a show floor and seeing what's actually out there, some of the smaller booths and what they're offering uh, and maybe have available at prices we can actually afford um, might actually be coming more and more important over the next few years. I always thought that it would be beneficial to have sort of that global perspective to be rubbing elbows more with um, other, you know, locations that might do things a little bit differently than us. And it could be a good thing. I definitely agree with you, Aaron, in that the opportunities for networking at a global event, all of our universities Def, certainly flatter themselves with the idea that they have any kind of global influence, whether that is international students or alumni or fundraising. And they rarely really show that in opportunities such as sending people abroad to those experiences if it isn't directly involved in, for example, a study abroad program. My university has several study abroad programs that actively have faculty or staff members attached to them. Then they're entrenched, you know, in those specific institutions and organizations that they're involved in. And they don't rarely look for that other kinds of travel opportunities, especially for staff. It's always a struggle getting anyone to budget for staff training that really reaches beyond anything that you is part of your job title. And I think it would be, a, I think it would just be fascinating, of course, but there's no reason that for a technological institution like mine specifically, that it couldn't be a, a bigger experience than necessarily sending one person to just take a look at a couple booths. You know, it, it, there are opportunities there that are, there's value in experiencing some of them. And uh, I am definitely jealous that I can't go, of course, but the, the idea that there are, that it is a precursor to Infocom for us and merely the fact that we get to see previews of what we're going to see, but also, you're going to see stuff that you're not going to see anywhere else. And isn't that what colleges and higher education is supposed to be doing in the first place? Yes. Yes. And I feel like it's such a better timing than Infocom because by June, we've spent all the, the year's money, essentially, and then we and we already have all of our projects lined up for a while. So by the time we'd actually put anything that we saw at Infocom into play, they're starting to introduce the next round of things. So um, I almost feel like by not going, we could potentially be, you know, a, almost a cycle behind in technology. Especially what everyone else was already saying about the shortages and long order times that we are seeing on technology, that getting to see it in February instead of June could 
very well be the difference between getting it at all. Does anybody else have any comments about ISE? Never been. <laughs> so what can I tell Never you? Never been. But I mean, Aaron, what you said, you know, as far as the networking part of it, it's interesting because when you go to Infocom or if you go to an Educause or you go to some of the, not Educause, yeah, Educause or, or maybe uh, some of the other conferences, there's always seems like it's interesting. There's one or two uni international universities. So I'm sort of interested to sort of find out if Johanna or Scott, you know, what your experience may have been on the flip side where you're sort of, you know, the, the lone American, so to speak, and you're, you're interacting with the international community and what's that like? I went to ISC, I, I can't remember, it was 2017, 2018, it was in Amsterdam. Uh, it was very interesting because the, the people that I spoke to indicated that uh, as far as technology and classrooms, they thought the United States was ahead of, of Europe. They say, oh, you're about five years ahead of us with what we're putting in our rooms. But it is interesting, and I was thinking about this when jo Johanna was speaking, that I don't remember them doing uh, kind of some of the university tours that have been set up at Infocom that you see now when you go to an Infocom. Um, they did do, there was a, a couple educational panels this year that I noticed, and even a, uh, a tour of the show floor uh, based on um, higher ed people um, from, from Europe and, and the like. So I, I think that's growing some, um, but even in the year that, that I went, it was still there wasn't much focused on higher ed. The only time I had that experience at all was when I was in a CTS prep course at Infocom. And I got to be friends with several gentlemen from South Africa who were also taking that CTS prep course with me. We were all about the same age and they worked at a university that was very similar to mine and had a job responsibilities and a job description exactly like mine. And it was very interesting to talk that out with them. And even just in our environments, for example, in South Africa, they could use drones on college campuses, flying above the heads of people. The laws were different. We can't get a drone off the ground in Boston for love nor money because of how close we are to the airport, how many hospitals we have around. There's so many people who want to do drone photography or get it into our construction management programs. And they, in South Africa, could fly drones over the heads of the crowd at their commencement ceremony. And they showed me some videos that they had done with their production. I was like, that's crazy. It looks incredible. And yet when we were talking about automated lecture capture systems, they uh, wanted to know all about what I was doing because they were only just looking into that with their programs. So the just the different splits of what technology they're focusing on versus what technology we're focusing on and where the two combine, it, it was very interesting just talking with them. So it must be even more fascinating when you have multiple different countries all expounding on the same thing. It's so interesting to hear you say that the Europe group seems to think that they're behind on that higher ed space. I wonder if they feel the same I, way about the home space or the corporate space. Uh, and again, I mean, the caveat being it was five or six years ago and like two or three people. <laughs> and I guess with this year, um, you know, there being more offerings for the higher ed um, space, 
I guess it goes to show you how far we've come in, you know, the last few years as a vertical to, you know, now we're kind of commanding that, you know, attention and showing that we're going to show up and we want to learn these things and we want to be involved. So hopefully that'll only pick up and increase as we, you know, move forward. And hopefully we'll see also that reflected at Infocom this year. I certainly hope so. The only reason that I've been as involved as I have been with any of these trade shows or organizations was because I slowly started hearing about other people doing the same job and realized that there was a community and a network of people out there. And that really opened up a lot of opportunities and just not only just to network with people, but just to learn and more experiences. And it made it feel like a community instead of just me, you know, spinning around in my desk chair alone in my office. So it would be nice to expand that even more with higher ed specifically and get that not only in networking, but in making an impression on the industry, on manufacturers, on integrators. That would be great. Okay, everybody. Over at Rave Pubs, there, the article we read was, uh, Sony just leapfrogged every other AI-based PTZ camera with two of its own. So, you know, for us in higher ed, is there a future for AI cameras and switching and, you know, other of that type tech in our, in higher ed? This is sort of interesting because I, I do photography sort of on the side. So, you know, when you're dealing with a Sony product like the A7Threes and those, those things, their autofocus is amazing. The reaction in those, in a lot of their cameras is incredible. Um, and it always was interesting to me. It's like, was early PTZ sort of considered semi-AI? I mean, because it's, you know, I, I don't know what really the distinction is. You know, it's like, okay, it gets an input, recognizes a sector, follows it, this kind of thing. Um, so I think anything that can make uh, the, the PTZ better is definitely got some type of future. I noticed somewhere in the article it talked about when it would go to like sort of a, a quick freeze and then transition to another angle, you know, on the camera, on the instructor. I think that's pretty useful. I think we find that, you know, PTZ can sometimes be like on a roller coaster following an instructor around. So doing something that can can mitigate and make a smoother transition is sort of nice. Um, so, I, I mean, I think it certainly does. And I think AI is just going to sort of could be get, get its uh, hands into just about a lot of stuff that we're going to be involved with with higher ed to be honest i mean you can create scripts and get responses and writing now using ai so it's just getting more and more entrenched in what we do yeah we've been using some sort of ai camera uh, for probably about 10 years and just seeing the evolution of them as they've gone you know uh, like rob was saying the first ones we put in uh, after two weeks we were asked to turn off all the auto tracking all the Zoom features because people were actually getting sick in the rooms uh, from the motion uh, to where now, you know, we're getting complaints. They're not moving fast enough. It's not tracking properly. Uh, 
So, and we are seeing uh, a whole lot of new ones out there. Uh, we've experimented with several different brands. Uh, and what we're finding is, you know, when a company comes out with one for their first time, it's fair. But then a firmware upgrade three months later is a major improvement. So they're learning them. They're learning how to do them. And they're making them where they're upgradable, which, you know, is probably the best part, I think. You know, as the AI improves, the, the cameras can learn. Uh, like, like I said, we're using multiple different brands, uh, trying to pick, you know, the best one for the for different size rooms, things like that. So I, uh, I, I'm, it's funny. I, I thought the same thing, Rob. I was like, so autofocus is AI really? I mean, um, but I, I just, I, I think, and we chatted a little before we started about chat GPT and after playing with that for a little bit, it, I am so bullish on what AI is going to do for AV. And so if you think about this camera and this camera's tracking a face, but now you get the artificial intelligence of, oh, the person's walking fast. I need to zoom out. Oh, the person said, I'm going to write on the board. Now I know I can zoom in. Like just it, it is, it is understanding natural language and, and directing its attention the way a human would if they were sitting in that room. Uh, and this is going to come into control systems, right? You used to be, oh, voice control. So I can walk in a room and say, room, turn on the projector. Now I just walk in a room and say, okay, I'm going to show you my computer. And it just happens because artificial intelligence in that room understands what has to happen in order for me to show them my computer. So I, I found this, I, I actually want to read more about these cameras and see how, I, the other one I think is AI now is going to become an advertising gimmick when you think, is there really truly AI in this product? I think that the applications of AI are very interesting in AV, but until they get their price points down, it's yeah. not going to be practical for any higher ed institution at all to promote these in a wide ranging way. A lot of them are simply going to be curiosities that we bring out twice a year for commencement and you know, some inauguration of the next university president or whatever to impress people. And then you put the video up on YouTube and you put it back in the closet for six months because you don't want to break it because it costs $20,000. I can't even always promise that I'm going to put hybrid solutions in a tiny percentage of my classrooms. How am I going to justify the purchase of I, I this the article that we read didn't go in depth on the price, but it did give a range of what it might cost. And just looking at that, I'm like, no way. So there's nothing that is going to be brand spanking new that I'm going to chase after in this particular field because I'm not going to spend that time to, kind of money until it is tried and tested and true. And usually that means multiple other companies have put out something similar enough that I either know that's the best one or that's not the best one and I can get something else that's almost as good for $5,000 less than that. We're playing with some that are very, what I consider very affordable, you know, in the one to $2,000 range. They're not big auditorium cameras, but they give you a much better feel in a smaller classroom and require less technician time to get things set up and going. 
Uh, and that's kind of what we're looking at. Um, same thing, same way we look at audio systems, you know. Uh, my chief audio engineer has been all over the world with A-level programs, rock and roll as a sound engineer. And I get him back in here and I have to convince him that, you know, we're not doing performance level audio. We need good audio. We need intelligible audio for conferencing and education. And same thing, we're not looking for broadcast grade cameras in every classroom, but we're, we do need to be able to recognize the instructor, recognize the student, recognize what they write on the board. Uh, we need it clear, we need it consistent, and if it's going to track, it needs to track. And we're getting that. It, all these, you know, entry-level cameras, they work, like I said, they work fine for what we're using them for. No, I wouldn't use it in a broadcast situation, but it gives us a tool that we can use. And uh, as our students are getting more tech savvy and even our, we're getting instructors in now, younger instructors who are expecting this in their classrooms and we're able to provide it. I have not yet found a camera, an AI focused camera specifically that I would put in a large auditorium or event space that is better than my technicians. And even if I tried to do that, I would still be paying it with technician time when it comes to editing afterwards. Um, so it's never going to be my number one pick for any kind of large stuff, but like Ernie is saying, if there was one that I found reliable enough to do that in a classroom, then I would. But my university is very much focusing on in-person learning rather than hybrid at this point in time. So we haven't yet gone in that direction. I'm interested in learning more about it, but it's not at all my focus. So I, I'm in the weird field of they're not yet good enough for the events that I'd actually use them for. And my university isn't focusing enough on the applications that I would use them for. I'm very interested in them though. I think they're really cool. I was excited when Crestron purchased the, uh, was it the One Beyond yeah. Yeah, that's cameras? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I thought, oh, because I've seen the One Beyond cameras and I've seen them in action and they're pretty neat. So I'd love to see applications like that across a wider spread of companies in a wider range of uses. I feel like right now, um, these sorts of cameras are the only way they'll end up in one of our projects is if the president went to another school and saw them there and was like, they have these cameras that we have to have. But until that happens, um, most likely... Um, we're going to have to wait until that price point comes down significantly to uh, to really make it worth you know, uh, having at least on a broader scale. But um, it is very exciting to see the uh, the applications, though, that are beginning to come out with AI based. I would love to see those Sony cameras in action. I think that would be very interesting. Our last topic for today is from uh, avnetwork.com. Um, they have they put out their AV Technology Manager's Guide to Esports Trends. Is esports still growing in, um, in higher ed? I know that here at Drexel, they're starting to 
think about putting together, you know, an esports team, not quite at the level that some of the other universities that make it a varsity sport. But but here's the thing. Let, let, let's be honest. Anytime you can create something that has the potential to generate uh, revenue is fun for the students. They can get behind, you know, there is a, there is trying to figure out a big investment in it, you know, revenue or money wise. It sounds like a really good thing. Um, and it's like, I remember I, one of the other uh, major conferences was offering like a trip to some big um, outfitting that one of the universities had for esports. And uh, I've gone to one of uh, a um, company that sort of shows different technologies, and one of their things was esports. It just seems to be coming more and more in your face. And um, I, I think that you know, if you have the ability to, to invest in it, and you have the infrastructure, it's it's a good thing. I spoke at a conference in uh, Mobile, Alabama area a couple weeks ago, and one of the big topics was esports. It was more geared towards um, K-12, especially high school, and I sat in several of the talks on it, and the big thing they were talking about were scholarship opportunities for students who pursue it. My nephew, who's a junior in high school, is lettering in esports. He's, he, his dad makes sure he spends enough time on Mario Karts when he gets home in the afternoons. You know, never thought I'd see that. I could have lettered in Mario Kart when I was in high school. I know. I'm thinking this is an old game. That I didn't know Dang. I was still playing it. Uh, couldn't do it what was I, I doing with tennis? The hell with that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm seeing it growing. Uh, I don't see it happening on our campus, being an academic health science center. But I will tell you, when I read about the technology. Uh, in the article we read uh, there at the University of North Carolina, it sounds almost like the active learning centers that we've built. Uh, built the same way, you know, using the same tools, same products, uh, and a lot of the same features. I don't put in the fancy lights they put in where, you know, the table changes colors. I've got some lighting that lets the instructor know which table's talking, but, I mean, it's going down the same path that we're using, so... Ernie, I would love to see an active learning medical facility tricked out like an esports arena. Oh, I, would I think that would too. be great. I would too. We just try to keep them working. Okay. <laughs> yeah, med sports. I want. I'll try that one. <laughs> I, I, what I want to do is, I when we go to visit Ernie, like we've all planned that we're going to do. I think it sounds like we definitely need a Mario Kart um, contest. Yeah. And it's going to be on Rainbow Road, and I'm claiming Baby Luigi as the my character, <laughs> just so that everybody knows. Because that's that's what my son and I have always played. Yeah. <laughs> I reserve Prince. I reserve Princess Peach then. Oh, I love Princess oh. Peach too. So <laughs> esports e is huge. I think the problem right now is, of course, <clears throat> I'll speak for myself. Us older people don't really value what comes from esports. We still think it's people playing games. And there's tons of research on the intellectual value, the physical value of esports, and and the schools that are doing it are doing it strategically to bring in money and to bring in the right students. Um, like Ernie said, I don't think we all need these stadiums like Full Sail University put up and, and we got the tours up. It's real impressive um, though. It is super cool. Um, it, but what it really comes down to is the computing power and the uh, bandwidth and latency on your internet connection. And if you can get those things right, you can, I mean, you can have people sitting in a regular room playing these, playing the games, but I think it'll come everywhere. Um, it's just, 
waiting for us, I, again, myself, older people to catch up with it. It's going to push the students that are wanting to write the games, you know, do the gaming, do the coding. It's going to build coding. It's going to build production and broadcast facilities uh, as well as, you know, the AV systems themselves. So. Well, that's where if it's strategic, right? You don't just have the the gamers. You have the people coding the games. You have the artists designing stuff for the games. You have the people designing the state. I mean, it it is kind of this total environment that people can learn from in a college. Oh yeah, and I mean, and we've been talking, um, you know, it, in the AV industry of how to get people interested in AV as a career. This is a great way to introduce potentially AV jobs. Um, as options because there are so many AV related things that can go into esports between the production and the actual equipment and whatnot surrounding it. The signal transport is AV. You know, they're doing it using Crestron NVX uh, in most of them. So, yeah, that's what we do. The thing is also that. Even aside from the AV options, which I know this is an AV podcast, but forgive me for banging on one of my other drums at the moment, is student activities and retention and student buy-in to campus life. In that article that that I was reading specifically um, for today, they even mentioned that many of the students who participate in esports are not participating in other activities that are already going on on campus. Right. This is another field to get students actively involved in their campus communities. It gets them friends. It gets them leadership opportunities. It gets them organizational experience. It gets them public speaking opportunities. It gives them mentorship opportunities with high school students. It gets them involved. And, and just like Scott, you were saying the other pieces of it, there's marketing, there's business strategies, there's broadcasting, there's art direction, there's, of course, all of the AV that you guys were just discussing. But the biggest part for me is that it's just another way for students to do things. And when you're talking about student retention and student health and well-being, that's so important that you don't feel like you're alone on campus. And when you, video games are one of your big habits, oftentimes you can be alone. And that's fine. Many people need to be alone sometimes. I do. I'm you know, looking very much forward to this freezing cold weekend of me being completely alone in my apartment and not having to talk to a single human being after you guys. Sorry, you're in. But you can't do that 100% of the time. So... This is an opportunity for students who might end up doing that by themselves to seek out somebody else. Even if it's one other person that you're going to play Smash Brothers with, that's fine. That's one other person. That's what you need. You need at least someone else that you can, you know, have those kind of connection and relationships with. And you can build very meaningful relationships just by doing something you both enjoy together. And it doesn't have to be serious. It doesn't have to be world changing. It can just be having fun with someone you don't know very well, and then you can become friends with them. And that's way more important than any of the other stuff. So I don't know why you wouldn't get as many kinds of student organizations as you possibly can 
just to get students out of their dorm rooms talking to each other about things. One of the students in my office, I don't know why he did this. I don't know what kind of meme he was on that day. He started a milk club on campus, okay? It's literally called the milk club. They got together and they sampled different varieties of milks and then scored them, okay? And I don't care because that got this young gentleman out of his dorm room and talking to other people. It doesn't matter if it was a joke. I don't care if they did it once and never are doing it again. I don't care if it goes on for 10 years. It's fine. I think that's great. So if not the milk club, then why not eSports, you know? <laughs> anything, anything to get. I remember what a miserable time I had half the time in college because I, you know, and even when I had friends, it just gets you thinking about something else and doing something else and having it be actively supported by the university like a real either um either a real varsity sport or a real intramural sport or a sponsored student club means you get executive attention it means you get a faculty or staff mentor or person who is in charge it gets you campus life and engagement, giving you money to buy your friend's pizza while you play video games. Any kind of official recognition from the university is going to elevate that experience even more so. So while it's great for AV, it's even better for the students who are involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with that, I don't think we could top that. That was a, that was a fantastic way to uh, to wrap it up, Joanna. <laughs> Johanna. Um but yeah, uh, this has been an awesome conversation, everybody. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm now almost speechless, which is pretty tough because I like to talk. But anyway, so um, yeah, this has been another fantastic episode of EdTech. Uh, Ernie, if anybody wants to reach out to you, how can they get in touch? Uh, LinkedIn. And Rob, how about you? What he said, LinkedIn. And Scott, how about you? I am on uh, Twitter and on uh, Rave Pubs. And Johanna, how about you? I hide from all social media, but I am unfortunately on LinkedIn. Fantastic. And you can find me on LinkedIn or on the Twitter. And um, thank you so much, Johanna, for joining us today. You were amazing. Thank you so much for inviting awesome. me, Aaron. I love meeting, networking with new people. I'll even do it on LinkedIn, but I much <laughs> prefer to do it with a like-minded group of individuals who have intelligent ideas about AV. So thank you very much for having me. Yeah. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, all right, everybody. We will uh, see you again next episode. Bye. Bye.